Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. There are, you know, the scripture speaks of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And we, Jesus said, you know, Jesus made reference to that when he sat down in Nazareth and handed the scroll back to the attendant. And he talks about the day of the favor of our God, you know, and, the, and everything. But he cut it off when it comes in the day of, uh, of the day of vengeance. He didn't quote the rest of that scripture because that it was not yet the time. But we are coming into that time, as you can clearly see. Things are moving rapidly around the earth. And I'll probably talk about some of the end time events that we're seeing take place, maybe under a separate cover or working in a different way. But because uh, there's a lot to understand if to look at the events we're seeing right now, theologically, not to look at them politically, not to even look at them socially, but to think theologically about them, because that in itself will tell you a great deal about where it is going and what to expect. And one of the things that we absolutely positively, first of all, I understand that a great deal of the church is pre-trib. And, you know, I was pre-trib for many, 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 many years. I am no longer convinced that that is true. You know, I hope it is. How many of you follow me? And please don't let me. I was talking to a very good friend of mine about that. And he is reformed and very steeped in the dispensational theology and and a, a wonderful man and a saint of God, you know. And he said, are you telling me you're not sure about the pre-tribulation rapture now? And I said, no, I'm not. And he went bah! and turned around and walked off. <laughs> I mean, literally, you know, <laughs> and uh it, it, it scares people to think about that. But, you know, and I pray that it's true. I do. I pray that the Darbyists are right. I'm not sure about that because for many, many centuries, the church did not believe that. And, you know, I want to be ready either way, either way. And it is not the will of God for the church to hunker down and hide while all this stuff, you know, falls on the earth, we are called to shine. We are called to walk in his glory. In fact, I'm thinking about changing the Wednesday night uh, teaching series as uh, training for the glory. I'm thinking about changing it to training for his glory because that is the glory to which we refer. Amen. And so as we go through Elijah, Elijah lived in a very, very stressful time, a time when people were, the judgment of God was on the northern kingdom. People were dying and the government was persecuting uh, Yahweh worshipers, got people who worshiped the God of Moses uh, and, and literally, quite literally martyring them, putting them to death wholesale. And it was, and they were searching for Elijah and they had undoubtedly spread the narrative that one of the reasons that it hadn't rained in so long is because this loud mouth prophet had shot off his mouth in front of uh, Baal and everybody. And Baal was waiting for them to bring him to justice before he would send rain. That sounds just exactly like something that, you know, some government person would say. All right. And it was what the and the Romans did it, you know, the whole thing. And I want you to understand. Well, in fact, I want to read this passage of scripture. And we've gotten Elijah out of Yezreel. We've sent him to Crete. The brook dried up. We've got him now to Zarephath, where this widow was providing for him. And great things you know, God was doing wonderful things. We've talked about all of that. There's a lot of faith lessons in there, and I'm not going to repeat them here. It would be it would behoove you if you haven't heard them to go back. You can right there on YouTube. We've got it on our website. Uh, you can access our app and all that and get it right there and get it. And because to get us everything out of what we have today, you really do need to hear what went before. All right. But it says in verse 17 of first Kings 17. It happened after these things that the son of the woman, and this was just one of her children. We talked about that. 
the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was very severe until there was no breath left in him. Make no mistake, he was dead. Okay, I know some people say, well, you know. She said to Elijah, what have you against me? What, you know, uh, O man of God, that you have come to me to make known my guilt. This is, I'm reading from the Lexham English uh, Bible right here, by the way. That you have come to me to make known my guilt and to cause my son to die. Then he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her lap and carried him up to the upper room where he was staying. And he laid him on his bed. Then he called to Yahweh and said, oh, Yahweh, my God, are you also causing evil to come upon this widow with whom I am dwelling as an alien by causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and called to Yahweh and said, Oh, Yahweh, my God, please let the life of this child return within him. And Yahweh listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned within him and he lived. Everybody say amen. Let's begin to we're going to read a little bit more here in a minute or two, but I want to break that down, you know. One of, the, one of the things that we see displayed here is, and, and seem to forget, and I want you to take note of it, is that Elijah was staying in Zarephath, which of course is in Phoenicia, where Jezebel's father, Et Baal, was a priest of Baal, a priest of the Asherah, and so he was a very pagan, very wicked, very evil king. And yet, even though here was Elijah... Public enemy number one, that his own daughter and son-in-law had said, we're looking for him. Baal's mad at us. We need to find him. And so they looked for him even in Zarephath. We saw that where Obadiah says that, you know, came to him and said, they've looked for you everywhere. He's even made the, the, the neighboring kingdom swear they've looked for you and can't find you. And here he is staying right under the devil's nose and he's safe. Do you get this? Some people have a, you know, have a tendency to believe that the devil is as omniscient and as omnipotent as God. And he so most certainly is not. All right. Right under the enemy's nose. The enemy knew where he was, but, had, but somehow was not managing to communicate that to any of his priests. Wow. Baal's a pretty wimpy God. You know. And the, you know, and so God can hide you in plain sight, so to speak. But when we become active doers and we, when we become believers and we join the, the body of Christ, make no, uh, make no mistake, we suddenly get on the enemy's radar because we're no longer walking with him. And if we're walking, he who ain't with him is against him, Right. Just like with Jesus, all right? And we, when we become laborers for the Lord and beneficiaries of the blessings, though, we've got to understand that we're now part of God's physical supply chain. We've heard a lot of things in the last few years about supply chain problems and supply chain issues. Well, you know what? God has a supply chain too. Yes, a lot of times he can do something supernaturally like feed 5,000 people on five or 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children, on five loaves and two fish. But all too often he has, he wants to meet those needs through someone else. He could have just had meal and oil multiply itself for Elijah there by Crete, but he decided he wanted to use this widow to so do. And then he multiplied it for her, through her. Amen. And, you know, the enemy doesn't know any more about what's going to happen than Elijah does. Elijah's got to be wondering, how is this going to end? What's going to happen? He has to walk by faith every single day, just like you and I do. And, the you know, and hopefully... What the enemy does is he attacks here so that hopefully he could turn this household against Elijah. Or at a bare minimum, get them to get the, the woman, the mistress of the house, to wipe out in faith. Remember that we call him the devil. What does devil mean? It it's from the we it is a 
um, translation of the word diabolos, which means slanderer, accuser, all right? The root of the word diabolos means to separate, you know, to divide. The enemy comes to separate. He comes to divide, whereas God comes to join, to put together, all right? And you see it in Proverbs 16 and 28. A perverse man spreads strife, and a slanderer does what? Separates intimate friends. Believe me, saint, the enemy, we know that the enemy accuses us before God. But we also should be aware that he accuses God before us. Absolutely. And that's why it is imperative that we know the scriptures and not be controlled by feelings, not be controlled by emotions, not be controlled by pop theology. One of my professors, Dr. Robert G. Tuttle Jr. in, in my seminary said in my hearing, bad theology puts people in bondage and good theology sets people free. I want to have good theology. You know, a lot of people say, well, what are you going to do, you know, when the people start, you know, really pouring in? I'm going to do the same thing Jesus. When Jesus, I was just reading in Mark this very morning that when Jesus, uh, when Jesus got over to Gennesaret the second time, the people were there. There was a great crowd of people and it says, and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Felt compassion. So what did he do? He taught them many things. And that's going to be your job. People are going to be coming to you that I can't reach directly. People are going to come to you in your sphere of influence, neighbors, co-workers, things like that, that won't have any idea about any church, me or any other preacher, or maybe they don't want anything to do with preachers because they've had a bad experience. And God will use you to minister to that person. And so you're going to need to be able to give them good theology to set them free instead of some pious platitude that and this this twisted stuff that's in the Western church today that is literally leading people deeper into bondage and not out of it. And the enemy, one of the, you know, it is no accident that God took Elijah first from Jezreel and took him to Crete, where the, the brook there, where he was alone with God for a season. You know, uh, it, you know, one of the things about that is, it, you know, if we don't know the Lord and we don't know his word and in worship, then these other really weird or wrong but reasonably sounding things. Just think about, you know, Oprah has all these people on, you know, uh, uh, apostate Christians in many cases who say things that sound Perfectly logical and to human thinking they are, but they are not. How many of you know there is a difference between religion and spirituality? Religion is a system that is imposed intellectually, whereas spirituality is something that is guided from intuition, guided by the scriptures and the words which Jesus spoke to us. They are spirit and they are life. So when we are using the scripture, that is a spiritual exercise. More twisting it, it's not, obviously. And so, you know, the Pharisees of old completely missed what God was doing because they had their religion down, but they didn't grasp the spirit of Jesus. They're standing there looking at love himself, and all they can think about is, you are not what I want. You're not what I expect. And the enemy, this woman's response, what have you against me? What did I do? That's another way of, of, of putting it. What, what did I do? And he loves to come and say, you see that? God doesn't love you. He doesn't love you at all. You know, he's, you know, I'm, I'm, there are famous people who have lost a sibling or lost a parent or something of that nature who are Decades later, still mad at the God of the Bible because of their loss. And the devil loves to lay all of our problems. Make no mistake, in the days to come, you will be attacked. 
Don't let anybody stand up and tell you, oh, it's going to be a piece of cake. It's going to be a walk in the park. It's going to be a walkover. You'll just blast through this stuff just as if it didn't happen. Yes, it says, you know, and we'll quote Psalm 91. A thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it shall not approach me. For I shall only look upon it with my eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For I've made you my refuge, even you, most high, my dwelling place. No evil. Or calamity, or disaster, or plague, even draws nigh into my dwelling. Well, yes, but it goes on to say that he will rescue me in distress. He will rescue me and honor me. Well, if I'm not in trouble, I don't need no rescue. And so what Psalm 91 tells us is we will ultimately triumph, we will ultimately prevail, but we will walk at times in our lives through the valley of the shadow of death. And we need to be able, we need to know the character of God, and the only way to know that is from the scripture, and then we need to trust what we know. And we go by that, not by feelings. Or by what Oprah says. Or any of these so-called Christian theologians. You know, I could call names, but it's, you know, those who have deconstructed their faith. All right? And, you know, again, if the enemy can't get us to blame God, he'll, he'll t- send us somebody twisted. To lose a child, as this woman did, is a bone-crushing, to use a metaphor, experience to say the least because it is and it's human nature to look for a reason to look for a culprit to look for who's you know because children aren't supposed to die we we, we instinctively know that and there's a reason we instinctively know that and the reason we instinctively know that is because it is not the will of god all right in the normal human response to such a loss, I sometimes uh, compare such grieving as to having been hit right between the eyes with a two before. It's traumatic. It hurts. And a lot of times our response to injury is anger and rage. All right. The normal human response to pain is anger. And the enemy is well aware of that. And if you don't believe it, think about Job's wife. Curse God and die. I'm pretty sure she wasn't a believer. I mean, I could be wrong. All right. And so she says, what have I to do? What have I, what have I done? In verse, uh, I believe it's verse 18. And what, what did I do to offend you? What did I do to offend God? Notice she's not talking about her son. She's talking about herself. Do you get me there? All right. As the center of the picture. Have you, you know, I mean, have you brought, you know, have you brought my, let's see, let's go back. Uh, it says that you have come to make me know my guilt, literally my sin, and cause my son to die. To make known. In other words, has your presence here suddenly caused my iniquities to be revealed and written into God's ledger? Now, if you want to take that kind of thinking another step further, and I have heard this so many times in my ecclesiological career, or ecclesiastical career, I was fine. I was living off the grid. And you came along, and now God, you know, you just came into my life, God, and now i got problems. You remember how, you know, Darren mentioned the fact that they should have been dead of starvation. Except for God's grace. But again, when something, this, and I'm, believe me, I'm not ragging on this lady. Because when you, I mean, the loss, I have never lost a child. I know people who have. I cannot even imagine the level of pain that brings someone. I, I, I can't. I can be sympathetic, but I can't. I, I, you know, I've never, it's never happened to me. Thank you, Jesus. You know, and, uh, and so I am, and when you're hurting, and when you're, 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 you're just overwhelmed with the loss, 
Now, I have had things bring me deep grief, and it just feels like the walls are closing in. It feels like you, you might even experience it physically where you, 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 it's almost like you're having trouble breathing. And some of you know it, whereof I speak there. And when you're in that situation, you're probably not thinking straight. How many of you with me? Does God know that? Absolutely. He understands. Everybody say he's a good, good father. Amen. And, you know, the, but the thing of it is, when we're in a situation like that or something's attacked us or all at once, you know, something's happened that, you know, the future is suddenly very clouded and everything. We have a tendency if we are not careful and we really don't know the character of our God to begin to forget about all the good things. Suddenly all the every good thing he's ever done for me. I, I can't remember any of it. Everybody still loves me. Say amen. All right. But we instinctively know that children aren't supposed to die. But that's because it is not God's will. John chapter 10 and verse 10. Jesus is speaking. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they might have what? Life. And have it abundantly. Or better rendering is even have abundance. And you know you have to know that you know that you know that you know that you know this. And you may have to be the person who puts your arm around the person that's having the meltdown. Understandably so. I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions on anybody because, man, I mean, this. When you, like I said, when you've been hit between the eyes with a two before, you may not be able to see as clearly. And it, that's when we have... The brethren and the sistren to come alongside and put their arms around and to hold us up before the Lord and to minister. All right. Again, I'm not being critical of her. Her experience has been recorded so that we can learn from it. And her response obviously was not faith. It was self-recrimination and a little bit of finger pointing back toward uh, Elijah and the real character. But she's about to find out the real character of our father. Self-condemnation will not generate faith. God's going to want to do some things through you in the not-too-distant future of which you are completely unworthy, as all of us are. But you cannot think of yourself in those terms. The enemy will love to do that when all at once you feel like God's telling you to do something and man, bah, there's the enemy right there with all these visions and recollections of everywhere you've ever missed it. Your whole nasty life is passing before your eyes. So to speak. And one of the things I've discovered about that kind of stuff is. That it's kind of like you know. With uh, you know when you're playing a video. You've got you know you've got the, you've got the, 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 the picture. You've got the visual. And then you've got a soundtrack. And with Condemnation, there is an emotion track that plays along with it. How many of you have ever been sitting and all at once a memory came to you about something you did or said or something like that? And it's like you can almost feel yourself start to turn red with embarrassment over it. All right. That is irrelevant in the eyes of God. We have freedom. Everybody say amen. You know, most of us can quote John 3.16, but I submit to you that John 3.17 is every bit as important. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge, to condemn, to curse to damn the world. He didn't send Jesus just so that he could curse people. He sent Jesus so that he could save us out of the curse. And that the world might be saved through him. He even goes on to say in verse 18. He who believes in him is not cursed. Is not damned. Is not judged. He who does not believe has been cursed already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I don't know how anybody can read that and think that universalism that we hear on TV and some popular talk shows 
I've already mentioned it. We'll keep going here. You know, he didn't come to damn us. He came to bless us, not curse us. And when the enemy or our own conscience, as this woman's was, condemns her, what, is, what does the scripture say? 1 John chapter uh, 3, verses 19 and 20. And we will know by this that we are of the truth, that we love the brethren, and will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Man, you talk about somebody struggling with condemnation. Imagine this good Baptist kid who has been taught all of his life that tongues is demonic. And suddenly begins to rub up against people who are tongue talkers and clearly have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, concern, and all of that operating in their lives. And I remember a preacher saying one time that he was talking to a Baptist pastor, a uh, uh, Baptist uh, uh, theologian, and he had come out of the Baptist tradition. And I'm not knocking the Baptists. Thank God for the Baptists. I'm using cessationists, those who believe that the gifts and manifestations of the Spirit have completely ceased. I'm using that, you know, and there are many, many splendid, strong Christians who believe that. And I'm not going to break fellowship with them over that. But I am going to tell you that if I am, have grown up in that tradition and have been told by people, and most of those people would never say, you know, that tongues is demonic. Now, there are few, there are some that would take it that far. Most of them are not that, that strong. All right. And so I've heard all my life, though, that tongues is of the devil. And anytime you hear somebody speaking in tongues, that's a demonic spirit. And you need to get away from that or cast that devil out of that person or whatever. And yet here you are rubbing, you know, rubbing up against you've been rubbing up against people who have who clearly have, you know, the, the fruit of the spirit in their life. And God is doing things through them. And yet they're talking in tongues. They're praying in tongues. They're singing in tongues. And they point over to first Corinthians chapter 14 and they say, this is what Paul said. And they, you say, but yeah, but that was for then, this is now. And we say, point to the scripture that says that. Which they cannot do. They try to say, well, that which is perfect has come. Nothing perfect has come. The scripture, they say, well, it's the canon of scripture. That can't possibly mean that. Because he says, then I will know even as I am known. None of us have arrived there yet. We will now we see through a glass darkly. If the guy that wrote two thirds of the New Testament says that, you better know we are in the same place. And you're you're struggling with this. You see it, you know, and you feel the spirit again away from religion into spirituality. You feel the spirit tugging at he your your heart saying this is something you need. This is something, you know, you're seeing a deeper dimension of God in the lives of these people. And it's something for which you hunger and thirst. But you've got this teaching over here. I went to a Baptist church when I was in the army and they were good, very good people. Wonderful people. Then when I wrote a letter from Germany, letting them know that I was fine and that everything over there was great and that I'd had this Marvelous experience with God that had really just lit my fire for Jesus and that I spoke in a heavenly language, etc. like that. And I never heard from them again. I apparently somehow fell off the roll. It's a struggle. So you have to con- you have to read that scripture And assure your heart before them because it's difficult to have faith for something that you have been taught all your life is wrong. It's it's no different than prosperity. Some people are just so deaf on prosperity. Now, I am not a I am a prosperity preacher, but that is far from being the most important thing. It's not even second or third. But I will tell you that it is that God does not. Have a vow of poverty for each and every one of us. There are people in the Bible that walk that way. Men of whom this world was not worthy to quote Hebrews. I understand that. 
And is it possible that God is calling people to that today? Yes. But I happen to know that I'm not one of them. And, and I'm fine with that, by the way. But if I was one like that, I would be fine with that too. Because God puts it, remember we talked on Wednesday night here two or three weeks ago, about what is being poor in the spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Being poor in spirit means it doesn't matter what I have, doesn't matter what I own. All that is just accoutrement. And the second, nanosecond, God says to drop it and walk away from it, I can. Give this away. Oh, you know that new Rolex on your, 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 I don't have a Rolex, never have had a Rolex. I've never had an expensive watch. This Apple watch I'm wearing is the most, probably the most, one of the most expensive watches I've ever, I've ever had. And it's not even a watch, it's a computer. <laughs> it, well, it is. Okay. Functions, it tells me, but you know. So, it's a wrist terminal. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, if I don't have my phone with me, and I get a phone call, it'll come in on my watch. And I've actually talked to people. On, tell, hello, you know, calling Dick Tracy. <laughs> you know, Joel Jitsu calling Dick Tracy. <laughs> How many of you read Dick Tracy comics? And he'll be like this, and it says two-way wrist radio, little thing attached to it. Then it became a two-way wrist TV. You can actually see the end of it. This one won't do that. But wait. <laughs> Just wait. All right. Then we'll have people driving around doing this. Hey, how are you? <sighs> They'll figure out a way to, if you're moving over three miles an hour, that'll shut that, that function off or something. Anyway, we assure our heart back off of the inconsequential and back to something important. Where John says, we will assure our heart before him. I'll never forget the day that this really just barged in on my consciousness. And somebody, I was watching something, I was working out, I was on a, an elliptical and, and, was, and something was said like this. And the enemy comes to say something like, you see that if God were really for you. You would be enjoying success like this, or you would be seeing more of this happen in your life, etc. He says that to everybody, and I mean everybody. And you have a choice at that point. You can say, yeah, I'm just, you know, one of God's dense children. He doesn't want to bless me, you know. I'm the red-headed stepchild. How many of you know what that means? And etc., uh, etc., and I felt that wave of what was the starting of that wave of self-pity and all that beginning. And before I knew what I was doing, I said, no, my father is faithful to me. And that every good thing I have in my life came from him. And I can't really complain about it. And that the things that he has said concerning me, he will perform and everything. And that spirit hit the door. But it's because I made the decision to believe in the character of the God of the Bible. Amen. In John uh, chapter, you know, talk about no condemnation. In John chapter 8, remember the woman taken in adultery. And Jesus says, is writing, stooping, writing in the dirt with his finger. And he says, well, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And they're like, uh, oh. And... That's what he meant because he out he outfoxed them in their own in their own system. And beginning from the oldest and then followed by the youngest, they all left. And Jesus straightens up. And this woman was taken to, you know, I know no justice was was, you know, where's the man, right? Except that the Pharisees with their workarounds had made it virtually impossible for a man to commit adultery. It was always a woman's fault. And here she is, and straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Where are your accusers? Does, did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. But then he does tell her, From now on, sin no more. 
Go and sin no more. Just because we have that freedom in Jesus, just because we have grace, is not a license to sin because the wages of sin still work death. You know, and it's like, you know, going to the doctor and saying, I I just, you know, I just don't feel good. So the doctor begins to talk if he's a good physician or she's a good physician. They'll talk with you and they'll say, describe a little bit of your lifestyle to me and everything. So and so and so. Well, when did this seem to start? Well, you know, I read this article that said that, you know, that a little bit of arsenic in your, you know, on your mashed potatoes was good for you. It was good, you know, that it's a that it's a it's an antioxidant. It's an anti-accident, <laughs> you know, like that. And the doctor goes, what? Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, it's and I find trouble. I have trouble getting arsenic. So I just take a little rat poison and just put it on there and it works. You know, I, I don't take enough that it'll kill me. Yeah, it is. And the doctor says, don't ever do that. Stop it. Reminds me of hee haw. It hurts when I do this. Well, don't do that. <laughs> And, and we and we you know, so we can't say Jesus is telling her, don't do this. Stop doing it. I'm not condemning you. I'm helping you. What is he doing? He's teaching her something. He's teaching her something. And a lot of people around you do have no idea that what they're doing is 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 killing them. Spiritually speaking, not, you know, metaphorically speaking. And what does it say there? No one condemns you. Neither do I condemn you. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Neither do I condemn you. But we've got to believe that. How many of you believe that, you know, it says over in 1 John, John says, he is not just the payment. He is not just the, the, uh, the, the payment, the paid in full for our sins, but those of the whole world. Well, the world... You know, the, the word that's translated that way also can be translated, helastamai, can mean expiated. It's either paid in full or completely wiped out. Either way. I like to think of expiation because that means all my sins have been completely wiped out. Not just paid for, yeah, that for sure, but also completely wiped out. So my slate is clean. Just as if I'd never sinned. And that is the mindset. And that, well, what do you do when you really do sin? You repent. That's what 1 John 1, 9 is. If we're faithful and just, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. That's part of repentance. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of how much unrighteousness? All. I mean, <laughs> I remember this commercial. There used to be, it was for a company that, you know, Tide or Cheer or, you know, Does. How many of you remember Does? <laughs> Do they even have Does anymore? D-U-Z. That, that goes, that go, you're, you're not old enough. That's the problem. <laughs> you know, 20 mule team borax, whatever. And this guy's going in for a, an interview for a job and he's got a spot on his shirt that it didn't get out in the laundry. And so the, the interviewer is sitting there trying to pay attention to this guy and this spot's going blah, 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 like this. It just, it, he can't, he can't, all this spot has got his total attention. And I'm telling you, that is the devil. That is the way the enemy will use condemnation to where we ha- we're trying to hear Jesus. And all we can think about is this thing we did. And we have got to believe what the scripture says. Well, what about if, what if it's a besetting sin? What if I'm having trouble? Then repent, 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 repent. Keep bringing it up before God. Don't stop. Keep bringing it up. Amen. And trust that, the, that God is who he says he is. Neither do I condemn you. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, and the Greek construction is that yes, he is, who is against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us what? All things. We've got to trust him in that valley of the shadow of death. When we have had an attack, we've had a loss. We have had something like this woman has has experienced so that we don't wipe out in our faith. It's not easy, but with the grace of God, it's possible. Just like Abraham every day, day in and day out for well over 15 years, trusting God that he, that Sarah would have a son, even though with every passing day, it looked less likely. Amen. So remember, Elijah is the representative of God here. And so we come back to 1 Kings 17. We'll pick it up with verse 22. You get anything out of this so far? Yahweh heard the voice. You know, he said, is it that you do this, Lord? In fact, I'll go back and read the one before that. It was uh, uh, verse 22 before Then he called to Yahweh and said, Oh, Yahweh, my God, are you also causing evil to come upon the widow with whom I am dwelling as an alien by causing her son to die? He didn't believe that. If he did believe that, he wouldn't have prayed for the boy. He wouldn't have ministered to the boy. And make no mistake about it, this is a manifestation of special faith. Miracle faith. You do not... Raise people from the dead by your everyday, you know, Carmen Garden variety saving faith. No, there's more to it than that. He didn't believe it. He's going, this is not possible. You know, when you see that with the question, it reminds me of, uh, uh, you know, one of the great evangelists of the past who had come into an area. And if they didn't, he talked about how if they didn't see the, the response that they usually do, he'd say, Lord, you don't suppose we're not going to have revival, do you? You don't suppose that somehow this town is special and the enemy's just too in charge here, do you? That's exactly what Elijah's doing. And he would say, you know, he said, you know, this is not possible. So what, you know, he knew that. So what did he say to the widow? He said, give me your son. Now, I know that somebody might say, well, he's already dead. What difference is it going to make? You don't know how people who are grieving like that behave. You're not touching him. And she gave. That's what God is saying to everyone who is in this Painful type of a situation. He's saying, give it to me. Give it to me. That's why it is imperative we trust him. That's why it's imperative that we know the character of our God. He didn't reprimand her. Did you notice that? He didn't correct her or castigate her in any way. He says, give me your son. And his question back there in verse 20, of course, is incredulous if our musicians would come. Because Elijah believed God. He didn't believe God did this. He knew better. If God did this, it's senseless to pray. That's one of my that's one of my bones to pick with the predestinarians that believe that everything is foreordained. Jason and I were talking about it. In fact, he said something from the pulpit last time he ministered about how that he was down with some Reformed theologians down in Oklahoma City going to a seminar down there a few weeks ago. And he had a wonderful time and he learned some things. And he was something of an odd duck in their midst because he wasn't, he was more Arminian and less Calvinist. But he found it, you know, the the person who was putting on the seminar was ill the first day of the seminar. I got that right. The first day, right? And they had to get up and say somebody else will be teaching because he's gone to 
the, the doctor. Well, if you follow their theology, he is suffering by the will of God. Because everything is predestined. Do you know what the predestinarian, you know what the, you know what the, the, the Arminian, the person that doesn't believe in, in total predestination, non-reform says after they fall down the stairs, they say, what did I do to cause that? But the Calvinist says, glad that's over. Because there was no way to avoid it. Are you with me? And so when they asked for prayer for the leader of the meeting, it was, it's, it's like, okay, if this is God's will, what are we doing? You got to know it's God's will to heal you. It's God, you got to know that the things in your life that look like they're dead, that you honestly thought God was going to do, and the years have come and gone, and they haven't happened, you don't give up on them. Because God is and will. We, but we do give them to him. Are you with me? And God restored the widow's son. It goes on to say, and Elijah, let's see, you, uh, Yahweh heard, verse 22, Yahweh heard the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child returned to him and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room. Into, he was standing up on the roof in the upper room. Into the house and gave him to his mother. Oh, would I love to have been there to see that. And Elijah said, see, your son's alive. Now look at her response. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. Okay, so now, okay, you're the real deal. Did she know before? Well, I mean, you know, they're waking up every morning and they, with, with new flour and new oil. So it's not like she didn't have any proof. And she said, now I know that you are a man of God. And look at this. And that the word of Yahweh in your mouth is truth. So she not only developed confidence in Elijah, she developed confidence in the God of heaven. This woman is in heaven because she was believingly loyal to Yahweh. Somebody say, how were the Old Testament saints saved? Same way you and I are, by faith in God. And Abraham believed Yahweh, and it was reckoned to him as what? Righteousness. This woman's faith was reckoned to her as righteousness. Right under the devil's nose there in Sarafat. Hallelujah. What a testimony. Woohoo! What a miracle. And now she is fully convinced, just like Abraham, being fully persuaded that and I'm here to, that God is faithful. And I'm here to tell you, Saint, we need to be ready because God is going to do this kind of stuff through every one of us. There are people in your life, as I said earlier, who will not come to a church, but 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 they will listen to you. And you can draw them into the family. You can draw them into relationship with Jesus because you're going to demonstrate that the God you believe. And, and believe me, when you go to pray for some of these people, I guarantee you the enemy will bring up, oh, who do you think you are? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am a believer. I am part of the body of the living God. I am the hands of Jesus in this situation. And devil, you're on the way out the door. Amen. You don't even need to wear hairy garments. How many of you glad you don't have to dress like Elijah? Amen. But you do have to trust in the character of God as revealed in the scripture. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. Those of you watching by web, we're going to be receiving communion in just a few moments. But I do not want to move on. And you're welcome to celebrate communion with us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we practice open communion. You are more than welcome to receive communion with us.
But before we go on to that, I want to make it absolutely plain. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And there is only one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, no woman, no one comes to the Father except through me. And that is through repentance and faith in Jesus. Yes, we tell people to pray and to, and to say from Romans chapter 10, Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe you have raised him from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I turn. I repent. I turn from my old life. I come to you. This isn't a formula. It's not just some little thing we do. It is a life-changing, destiny-changing, eternity for us, changing moment in our lives because we turn from darkness to light we move toward god and away from darkness amen christian you got to know who that you know that you know that you know that you know who you are and whose you are so that in the future as god begins as these things are we're seeing it happen around us we may be in the first stages of World War III right now. I don't know that that's true, but I don't know that it's not. More likely than not. I'm here to tell you, it's, it's, and we see the world choosing up sides, and it's just wild to see. And some people are choosing darkness. They are. They're blinded. But you know what? In Jesus, we are called to shine the light. Hallelujah. Trust Him. Meditate on that word. Get in a body of believers. Get in there. Put your hand to it. Grow in faith. And let God do through you what He has always wanted to do. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If there be anyone here this, this morning that you need Jesus in your heart, you say, I need to be born again, just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Same out there. If you need Jesus and you want me to pray for you, send me an email. There's one attached. Hallelujah. Amen. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center or at our website, iccfamily, all one word, dot O-R-G, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.